Hey guys, it's your girl Maya Kay, and I am so excited about today's guest. Now that I run a full literary podcast, I get to have fun and bring in some of the dopest writers in the game. And you know, my favorite genre of fiction is inspirational romance, African-American contemporary romance, as well as just faith-based fiction. And this woman right here literally inspires me and I was honored to be able to have her on the podcast. Kimberla Lawson Roby is a New York Times best-selling author, speaker, and podcast host. She has published 28 books, including her faith-based nonfiction title, The Woman God Created You to Be, Finding Success Through Faith, spiritually, personally, and professionally. And she has a strong passion for helping women to become the best they can be in all areas of their lives. Kimberla has sold more than 3 million copies of her books. She is the 2013 NAACP Image Award winner for Outstanding Literary Work in Fiction. And in 2020, she was named by USA Today as one of the 100 Black novelists you should read. Kimberla has been featured in numerous magazines and newspaper publications, such as the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Essence, Ebony, Upscale, Writer's Digest, and The Writer, to name a few. Also, after receiving numerous rejection letters for her first novel from both literary agents and publishers, Kimberler founded her own company, Linux Press, and it was then that she self-published her debut title, Behind Closed Doors. Her next novel, Sister Friends Forever, will be released on August 9th, 2022. Kimberla resides in Illinois with her husband, Will. I am so excited. Let's get into this episode. All right. Hey, guys, it's your girl, Maya Kay, and we are back with season two of the Maya Kay show. And I hope you guys have been enjoying the new content ever since God has repositioned me full time back into the literary world on both the screenwriting and publishing side. Uh, You've been getting these fresh episodes just talking about prairie letters and agents and the writing process and my re-releases. I'm excited. I'm re-releasing four of my romance novels on Mother's Day. But I don't think I'm really as excited about that as I am about speaking to today's guest. So this woman has been in my life, (laughs) literally, (laughs) since about high school. I I always tell people I was, I did it backwards. I read adult books in high school and as adult, now I read young adult books. So it's just so funny. But thank God, all of her stuff is very pure and PG. So we're not really dealing with anything (laughs) crazy. Uh, But this is amazing to me. The New York Times bestselling author, Kimberla Lawson Roby. And I want to do her some justice and even more so say the powerful woman of God, the powerful daughter of God. And I say that because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how she felt like she was kind of uh maybe idolizing her writing career and kind of got caught up and then god positioned her repositioned her to focus on helping women find their purpose and she's still writing but i'm so honored to have the creator of the curtis black series you know we all love curtis black and um some of my favorites were one in a million and copycat i'm actually going to be rereading copycat it's such a great book um and so i'm excited to have kimberla lawson roby with us today welcome to the show kimberla Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Wonderful. Okay, so you recently transitioned into helping women discover their purpose, specifically with writing the book, The Woman God Created You to Be, Finding Success Through Faith, Spiritually, Personally, and Professionally. 
I was listening to one of your podcast episodes. I think it was the first or second one where you discussed that there were times throughout your writing career where you weren't really happy. Um, mm-hmm. And many people would be like, what? You know, like, for yeah. example, at me as a writer, I remember one article years ago, I think it was Essence, they interviewed you and you had just gotten a seven-figure book deal. So on mm-hmm. my end, and people probably think, how could you not be happy? But yes. um, essentially, it seems like you were saying that you were thriving professionally, but not personally or spiritually. So can you just elaborate on what made you make this recent shift while still maintaining your career as a writer? Yes. So, you know, that was very, very true. And I wrote, sat down to write my first book in 1995. So we're talking 27 years, um, ironically, this month um, that I have been writing books and, you know, moved on to start my own company to self-publish it the very next year. So for more than two decades, I was extremely happy. Yeah, with my professional life, with everything. I was, you know, just in a place that I had hoped to be and and where I really wanted to be. But then as we moved into about 2014 and 15, 16, 17, 18, I realized I was completely exhausted, just totally burned out. And at that point, I was on a normal annual track of writing two books every single year. Um, going out on national book tours, sometimes going out and doing speaking engagements every single month of the year. And so my balance in life was basically zero. Everything centered around writing and doing all that I was hoping that I could do um, to keep my readers happy and, and my publisher as well. And so what that also meant was that spiritually, I was bankrupt and you know personally, I was not taking care of me. Self-care was just not even a term, uh, part of my terminology. It wasn't something that I ever thought about, and I thought that I was okay. Um, And so finally, when I wrote the final book in my Reverend Curtis Black series in 2018, that's when I made the decision um, to answer my call, you know, from God in, in terms of writing The Woman God Created You to Be, which was my first nonfiction effort. And I took a break. I, I took a, a long break before starting to write that book in 2019 and then ultimately released it in 2020. And I have just been in a very well-rounded and wonderful place ever since then. Yeah. Uh, I know this mm-hmm. isn't uh, part of what I sent you, but just quickly, did you go to therapy to work through any of that? You know, I did not, but that is one thing that I would recommend and not just recommend, but highly recommend to anyone. You know, if you're going through anything where, you know, there are moments when I would be at public events and totally break into tears over the smallest anything that somebody said or may have asked me. And it was just because I was emotional and I was exhausted then here you have, you know, a career where not only is this the way I earn my living, you know, and God has blessed me to earn a very good living with it, but my readers, as soon as they finish one book, they're already asking me, when is the next one coming out? When is the next one coming out? And my readers made my career. I don't have a writing career without them. And so you don't want to disappoint the people who have supported you um, time and time again. But I literally, if I had it to do over again, I certainly would seek out counseling no doubt about it okay all right so one of the things in just reading uh the woman god created you to be you talked about wishing you had truly forgiven your father and spent Mm -hmm. more time with him when you first met him at the age of 22 
and ironically, uh, my college girl diverse, devotional releases tomorrow. And oh wow! Congratulations. Yeah, I a, thank you, a college girl yeah. diverse, devotional uh, for twenty one days, and one of the chapters in there is Daddy's Girl, and mm-hmm. I wrote a prayer for young girls to work through some of that forgiving their father and whether they have a relationship or not. And so I would love if what advice would you give to young women who are hurting from growing up in a single parent home? Because many of us just, like I, I didn't know what to do with that dynamic. And you know, your father kind of sets the standard for the way you're treated. Mm-hmm. And it could really um, damage you, especially growing up in a rough city like Philadelphia when it came to attention from guys. Yeah. Um, and so what advice would you give to young women who are hurting from growing up in a single parent home? You know, I would tell them, you know, to do things a, a little bit differently than I did. I was angry at my father, not so much because he wasn't there or because I went without or I didn't have role models because I was blessed to, first of all, um, have my grandparents, my maternal grandparents who were really like parents with me. They moved in with my parents when they bought their house when I was five years old. And they both remained in that house until they each passed away um, many years later. So my grandfather was one of the best male father, grandfather role models I could have ever, ever asked for or prayed for. And then my mom married my stepdad when I was three years old. So, you know, from that standpoint, I won't say that I don't necessarily know what it's like to have that wonderful male figure in my house to just learn from in the ways that you hope you'll be able to learn, um, you know, from a father. But my anger was more about what my mom must have felt like when she came home at six months pregnant carrying me her first child and her husband was gone and and so i struggled with that i was angry for my mom when she wasn't even angry about it anymore you know so i you know can laugh about that now but if i had it to do over again and and what i would share with young women everywhere is to first of all forgive your father. Um, Forgive him, not necessarily for him, but for yourself um, so that you can completely, totally and completely move on. And then recognize that we all make mistakes and we never know what that reasoning is. You know, I think some parents would be the best parents that they could be if they were able to do that. And and so in some cases, um, we have to extend grace. We have to have mercy. And so, yes, for me, if I had it to do over again, if I knew that from the time I met him at 22 years old, that he would be gone two years later, I would have spent every moment that I possibly could with him. I would forgive and move on. And that's my advice with any area in your life that you might be dealing with. Yeah. And I think the, mm-hmm. the true part is understanding that I had to learn forgiveness is not um, conditional. So I would mm-hmm. forgive my father and I would say, okay, I forgive him, but maybe he'll call more. And then six months yes. later, he's still not calling. And now I'm, I may not have verbally taken my forgiveness back, but in my heart I did. Yes. And so yes. forgiggiveness, true forgiveness, just like real love, is unconditional. And, and it so, is. Yeah, it I would is. definitely yeah. encourage you guys to, you know, um, tap into that and ask God what that looks like. And know that it doesn't mean reconciliation, and that's okay. Right. And that's and that's the thing. You know, sometimes it does not mean that. And I also think, you know, recognizing that 
we too, whether we believe it, remember it or not, we have hurt people. Yep. We have done things that we wish we could take back. And folks have forgiven us, you know. But most of all, God has continually forgiven us. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. When did you get bit by the writing bug? And when did you first realize that writing was your thing? So from the time I was a small girl, I knew that I loved writing. It felt natural to me. I never felt... Uh, you know, as though it was a chore, so to speak. And so my teachers as well would say, you have a gift for writing from the time I was in elementary school and then junior high and high school. And then even with some of my instructors and professors in college. But for me, it was just me trying to get a good grade. You know, that, that was always my thing. I never thought that it was anything special or out of the ordinary. And then it was actually, uh, by the time I was in high school, when I kept hearing it from my teachers, I thought, well, maybe I'll think about this career in writing. And so I always tell the story that, you know, I likely would have majored in English or writing or journalism. But when I saw the amount of money that writers made, salary-wise, and that made me say, no, you know, mm -hmm. definitely not going to be a writer, not career wise. And so I moved on. I ended up uh, working for a number of different companies in corporate America. I worked for state government and city government, always trying to find that next job that I thought would be the one. And it just never happened. And that made me go back and say, okay, Lord, you know, what is it that you really want me to do? Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't working out. I'm not getting promotions. I'm being passed over for promotions that I'm qualified for. And I have great performance reviews with some of these positions. And so literally he just led me back to writing. And I thought, you know what? At that point, I was a financial analyst for city government, but I started coming home. Um, as I was saying, 27 years ago this month and sat down and started writing my first book. And I was 30 years old, though, by then. So it took me a little while to get to that point. Yes, writers stay encouraged because yes. I think a lot of times when you're like, you hit 27, 28, 29, and 30, you think that you passed something and that yes. you don't know what you're doing. And it reminds me, Kimberla, hearing you say this, are you okay with me saying Kimberla? My mother would yes, say this. Yes, no, it's fine. No, <laughs> um, Kimberla is fine. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of Ava DuVernay, her saying that she didn't pick up a camera until she was like 35, 37. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like you just, when it's your time, it's your time. And yes. God won't let that time pass you by. And he's a great redeemer of time. That's the beautiful yes. part about yes, it. Yes, he is. And so it's so good to hear you say that because as I'm on Twitter, sometimes I see a lot of discouragement with the writers, with the publishing industry changing, agents mm -hmm. leaving left and right, and people yeah. just feeling like, when am I going to get my time? And so it's similar to you. I studied journalism, but it wasn't my choice. I was in school for medicine. Mm, wow. <laughs> I was in school for pre-med, and God was like, yeah. Yeah, no, that's not going to be it. This is not it. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you say that. And so now, um, were you ever, this was something that got to me, and this kept me locked in fear for years because somebody, one person said to me, well, you know, if you write, it has to be a Christian book. And it just locked me in. And I, it made me think if I did something different, God wouldn't be pleased. So yeah, that kept me bound for like uh, about three years before I finally wrote my first YA novel. So were you ever pressured to write Christian fiction or did the church make you feel like you would be sinning against God if your books didn't have Jesus in them every other word? Like, how was that? 
You know, it, I never felt that way. And um, in fact, when I started out writing from the very first book and for that first, you know, five or six books, I even included a couple of words of profanity. So now this wasn't something you were going to see on every page and not even in every single chapter, but just the fact that it was one or two words here and there, or I may have described an intimate scene a little more than, you know, I would normally like to read myself tells you that no, I am a Christian who just so happens to be a writer. And so I think my faith will always ring through with my writing. But the more I included just those one or two words here and there, the more God convicted me. And so I arrived at a point um, by the time I was getting ready to write Sin No More, I outlined the story. I knew what I was getting ready to write and I couldn't move forward. And literally, I just thought this is the end of my career. You know, I I must not have anything else left to say. And I just went in prayer. I was talking to my husband about it, to my best friend Kelly about it. And then finally, God really spoke to my mind and my heart. I won't ever forget it, Maya, because his response to me was, why are you writing something you don't even like to read? And from that point, it freed me. And I think I was concerned that if I didn't stick to what everyone else was reading and enjoying, that did include profanity here and there, did include graphic sex scenes to some degree, um, that people wouldn't want to read it. I think that was my fear initially. But then I decided, no, I have to be who I am. Um, And from that point, when I moved forward, it just seems like my career really moved um, to a different level and to different places. So, yeah, so I never have ever categorized my books as Christian fiction, but some of my readers in the media does, I think, because of the way it's written. Yeah. You know, I love mm-hmm. that. It's so encouraging for me because my first ebook publisher I was signed to, um, I would feel so overlooked because everybody was writing that urban hood book type of street fiction. Yes. And I mean, the very first one I put out, I did kind of include some scenes, um, which actually, ironically, were female and female scenes because um, I was trying to keep the girl a virgin. So that was the part where I was trying to honor God. Oh, she's a virgin, but she's over here sleeping with, but she's over here, you know, sleeping with, it was so weird. But Mm -hmm. I remember God saying, if you just honor me and trust me, I will bring you to a place in your career. In my second through fifth book, because I had uh, five books under her, I refused to do it. And ironically, she made me one of my books, the first Christian release. So she branched off and added a Christian genre. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. I thought that was really cool of her because I just couldn't do it. So, yeah, I didn't make this is just some encouragement before I move on to the next question for other writers. I didn't make the four or five figures her urban writers were making. And sometimes I felt like God was like, where are you coming through? I obeyed you. But I have my integrity today. And now four of those books are being re-released and I get to Mm -hmm. re-release them the way that I want. And God is going to bless me now, you know, because I stuck to that. And so be encouraged if you're a Christian writer out there that is my audience for you know my business I want you to be encouraged in that that there's a market we have a mountain we're assigned to and we have to make sure that we're honoring that assignment we can't complain about the content on TV and in books if we're not going to do what God told us to do so that's so very true such sound and great advice absolutely just wanted to encourage okay so now I don't want to assume because everybody would assume it was Curtis but who is your favorite character (laughs) who is your favorite character that you've ever created and then what book is your favorite and why 
Wow. So, you know, I do. I get that question all the time. And usually people think that it's definitely it's Curtis, but it's definitely not. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know. No. Uh, for my series, uh, just in and of itself, it has always been Matthew, the youngest son. Uh-huh. Um, and my reasoning is because Matthew was a good kid uh, from the very beginning, from the time he was a little boy. But he had some really awful examples as it relates to both his parents. He saw it all. He experienced it all. He was hurt um, and humiliated by what they did, what they might be getting ready to do next. Mm -hmm. But through it all, he didn't take what they did as an example for himself. He still remained this good child. He has a good heart. He tries his best to treat others the way he wants to be treated. He's not perfect. As he got older, yes, he's made mistakes the same as any of us, but his heart remained in a good place and his love for God never changed. And I just always love that about him. That whole idea of even if a thousand people around you are doing wrong, you can still stand up and do the right thing. And and so that's why he's always been my favorite. Um, My favorite books, I have three for three different reasons. My very first book, Behind Closed Doors, because it was the book that started my career. And so that's why that's my favorite. Um, It's a Thin Line. My fourth book uh, is one of my favorites because it's the only time I really wrote a book almost completely based on at least parts of it my mom and me so the Dolores character is Mm -hmm. really based on my mom who did become terminally ill and pass away Um, the Sydney character her eldest daughter did become um, based on me in a lot of ways as her primary caregiver and what it was like so much of the dialogue that you read between Dolores and Sydney are almost exact in terms of so much of what my mom and I were able to say to each each other before she passed away so that book is very near and dear to my okay. heart because of that and then finally casting the first stone because it started a series that I never planned on starting I thought that would be just another standalone title I would move on never imagine that uh, readers would come back and say when are you writing the next Curtis Black book because Curtis is alive and well in every single city in this country um, so that but my all-time all-time favorite book and the book that I had the best time writing from page one to the end was my first nonfiction book, The Woman God Created um, You to Be. Yeah. I mean, who would have guessed? The book yes. I was terrified to write became my most in, most enjoyable writing journey. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to ask you who are your favorite authors. I know I didn't send that question, but I just mm-hmm. loved that. But before, I want to say, so I loved Copycat. I thought that was really dope. I don't know. Something about, to your point, I love the Curtis Black series, but you know how you want to break up the monotony of it a little bit? Yes. And so I loved One in a Million. And my favorite mm-hmm. part of One in a Million is when that lady called her and said, God said, you were supposed to give me some money, child. Because <laughs> I see it all the time. And she yes. was like, what? And what I love is that she responded correctly. God ain't say nothing because people will try you like that when you, whether you get a a book deal or whatever, they see your name in lights uh, and they will try you. And I love that she had the discernment. And that's it. But you do see it all the time. You know, you come into money or, you know, something great happens for you financially. People that never have even taken the time to say, let me just call to say, hey, how are you? doing exactly you know they show up or or the 
the folks that you have helped, and once you don't do that anymore, you never hear from them ever again. Exactly. And you know, it's so unfortunate, but it's very, very true, and it does happen. I forgot which celebrity said, I got more cousins now. Then I, <laughs> <laughs> when I was broke, every time I yes. turn around, it's a new cousin. Okay, yes. so now who do you read? Because some authors, I know with me, when I'm working on a book, I won't read others because I don't mm-hmm. want their thoughts to seep in. So like you and Kim Cash Tate are my girls. Oh, and wow, thank you. I write similar to Kim Cash Tate, though, because uh, it's like that romance but um, when I am, like, it's you two, and then Nicole Deese is a great, great new writer um, that I'm really mm-hmm. loving. She writes contemporary Christian romance as well. So, who are some of your favorite authors? Now, I have so many different favorite authors, and, you know, some in the Christian genre genre and then some that are just mainstream mainstream fiction so you know starting out and they will forever be even if it they don't release something for years at a time but Terry McMillan and yeah. Connie Briscoe um, I just love my all-time favorite book no one has ever I believe touched me in the way your blues ain't like mine mm. did um, from B.B. Moore Campbell um, you know God rest her soul but yeah. that was the book of books for me for for lots of different reasons um but um trisha thomas and trice hickman i mean there's nothing that the two of them can write that i don't absolutely love um mary monroe oh my gosh mary monroe (laughs) no matter what mary writes i absolutely love you know as as does my book club when it comes to um you know trice and trisha and um Mary. Um, so yeah, so I love those stories that aren't necessarily always a happily ever after, but they really focus on real life social issues that women are dealing with on a daily basis. I love that. And do you hear this, guys? I love that Kimberla is shouting out other authors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a big deal because this community is so small for especially women of color. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the gatekeepers in publishing are still very much white. And so it really helps to have representation like this. And she's going to be adding me to that list. I got a feeling (laughs) she's going to be adding me as her favorite. I look forward to it. (laughs) Okay, so I want to stay on track. Um, All right, I asked you about your favorite character. Okay, so... Now, there are some writers out there. I was just telling you, being on Twitter, uh, it can get really um, just discouraging when you see a lot of people feeling overwhelmed and discouraged, whether it's the pitching route they're taking, whether they're Um, Mm self-publishing. And so as a woman of God, what advice would you give to a writer who has pitched, they prayed, they and they keep and God keeps taking them back to writing. It's not like they're trying to force it to be their choice. Uh, Similar to you and I, maybe they were called into it out of a different profession, but they keep but they might be losing their passion and fire because they can't catch a break in their career so what type of advice would you give to a writer like that so you know i think the first thing and, and and this is not always um what everyone will want to hear but but i just in my heart believe that it's true is first of all 
make sure that it's not just your passion, but it is also your purpose, you know, that it's connected to your purpose in one way or another. Um, writing, you know, many of us can love writing, but if you've gone, you know, we were talking before, you know, don't give up, you know, you have to hang in there because God has a time for everything. But there are also times when we decide what our purpose is. We decide what we want to be successful, but we just need to make sure, is this really what God has for me? Um, if it takes 30 years, um, and you struggled the entire time, you know, I think it's time to say, well, maybe it is writing, but maybe it's not writing this type of book. Right. Um, maybe I'm supposed to be writing a blog. Maybe I'm supposed to be copywriting for someone. You know, there are lots of different forms of writing when God has given you the gift to write. But if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has placed that book in your heart, that you've given it your all, and that this is what he wants you to do, then you have to stay on track. You have to keep going. You have to keep submitting. If you want to be published traditionally, um, seek out literary agents until you find one who's willing to take you on. And then if that doesn't work, then go ahead and start figuring out and studying and researching and figuring out how to self-publish it um, to get the book out there on your own if you have to. Yeah, I think that's the key. Stay encouraged, but also knowing that uh, I think sometimes writers automatically, kind of like writers in Hollywood, they automatically go straight to the big screen. Their eyes mm -hmm. are lighting up and, and they can't even fathom it going any other way. And you have to be yes. able to be open to whichever way God wants to get you there. Uh, Joseph did not reach the uh, palace uh, the way traditional way he probably wanted to go. You got to yes. be open to all the detours because there's God's more concerned about your character than he is, and you know, the book, so... Yes, he is. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, with my books, you know, I usually get the question um, about screenwriting and movies and all that. And not on any day in 27 years have I ever had the desire to write a screenplay for any of my books or even for a new book. You know, if somebody says, you know, do you have a synopsis for something? You know, I could give you that. But that's not where my gift is. That's right. not where my right. heart is. You know, I want to leave that to the professionals. But yeah, so but, you know, some people will say, no. They want to write it all. They want to do it all. And yeah, God has, I believe I could learn how to do it if yeah. I had to. I just know that's not part of my purpose. Uh, has any of your books been optioned? No, they have not. Well, I shouldn't say that. They have. Okay. And um, in, in some cases, deals I've actually passed on, even once we've gotten to the written contract stage. Um, if the contract didn't give me the comfort that I needed to have in terms of not crossing lines in my books from a Christian or faith-based standpoint. Uh, you know, yes, Curtis has done a lot over and above. We know that he's committed sin after sin after sin, but there are certain things you will never see him do. You will see certain betrayals never happen in um, my books. And so I really want someone to say, you know, when the script is complete and we're ready to move forward, if you see something that will be totally and completely offensive to your readers and just to the viewing audience, we'll make that change. Not a whole lot of folks and producers in Hollywood are going to be willing to give you um, that final say-so. And so, you know, I have passed on deals, um, in some cases, six-figure deals just for optioning and yeah. uh, because I need to be able to sleep at night once that's out on the big screen.
Yeah, so that's another gym that Kimberly just dropped, and I need you guys to understand that because I, I am in Hollywood. I pitch my shows. I have a TV show circulating now, and mm-hmm. one of my things is I have a rule with this Christian dramedy that's circulating. If you guys are going to try to force any type of agenda that God is not pleased with, I will have to pass. And you have yes. to be able to say that to yourself and mean it because it's so important. Like, I do understand we may not have all creative control. You got to give a little, but it yes. shouldn't mean, uh, you know, ter- tampering with it so that it loses its integrity. If it's Christian and you picked it up because it was Christian, keep it Christian. Right. You and, know? <laughs> and that's my thing. And that's why I say it's like, you know, they a lot of times they don't want to involve authors because authors yep. can come in and say, no, I want to be exactly yeah. this. I don't want any of that creative control. I just do want to say, wow, mm, I'm not going to be proud of this dialogue, this one line or this scene, yeah. or readers are not going to be okay. That's what I want to be able to give advice on and say, mm, you know what, we can still say this or do this in a way and get the point across without doing in a way that will be offensive or, as you said, without integrity. Right. I love that. And so, writers, again, that's another thing. Stay encouraged in that you're not wrong. Um, it's not about you going in there making demands, but also for all the fans of Kimberla who may have been saying when's she going to get her option she's telling you right here that she's had those opportunities but she mm-hmm. had to pass because many of us probably have felt like yo I'm surprised Hollywood ain't tapped her yet these books are going to be great movies or a great TV show but mm-hmm. at the end of the day you have the option to sign on the dotted line and I love that you know this is really teaching people how to maintain their integrity again especially for Christian audiences and Christian yes. writers Um, Okay, so I know we only have like four minutes. I don't want to go over. Yeah, we could do a little bit more, though, because I know we had the technical difficulties. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh, so you did kind of answer the question about wanting to get into screenwriting. You kind of answered that and you said no. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but what is your writing process like? Yeah, so for me, I start with what topics I want to focus on. And so I'm not even writing anything down or typing anything at this point. I'm just mentally thinking about what subject matter. So, for example, um, with my latest book that's coming out this year, I knew I wanted it to be about four women who have been best friends since they were children, uh, but also about their different relationship statuses. And so from there, I created a two to three page, probably about three page synopsis to submit to my editor. Um, She likes to have that to know what I'm getting ready to write. And then from there, I start outlining about half of the book to start. So that usually means, depending on how many chapters, um, you know, 30, 40 chapters in my books. Um, So that usually means that I'm going to go ahead and outline uh, 15 to 20. And that may mean, you know, a full page. It might mean a page and a half, but just giving myself an idea of what this chapter is going to entail, what it's going to be about overall. Once I've outlined those 15 to 20 chapters, I go back. And so let's just say tomorrow I'm ready to start writing the actual chapters. I'll read the synopsis for chapter one and I'll write that chapter. I'll read that one or two page synopsis for chapter two and I'll write that chapter. And I'll keep doing that until I have no more chapters outlined from there so much of the characters in the storyline has taken a life of its own um, that I'll now outline three to five chapters and I'll write those three to five chapters I'll write an uh, outline another three to five and I'll outline I'll do that all the way to the very end 
that is so interesting. So we have a similar process. The only difference mm-hmm. is, so I outline at the beginning, usually like the first five, and then I, I do the last chapter because I, I need to know where they're going to end up. And then I let mm-hmm. the, and then in the middle, I let them do their own thing. Yes. So I don't mm-hmm. typically outline the middle or if I get stuck, I will outline like the yeah. middle. I'll do like a paragraph for each chapter and I know where I want to go. But I do a lot of um, freehand writing in my book like, okay, what are her favorite foods? I do full length character outlines. So I just know any situation they're in, how they'll respond type of thing. So that's yes, awesome. And it is. And then the other thing I do too, when I'm creating my characters, and of course that's before I do the three-page synopsis and the outline, I don't write anything down. And a lot of people have been surprised at that. I don't have that full, like I know writers, like you have a full resume for each of the individual characters. For me, I create the names uh, and it takes me sometimes a whole day to come up with the first and last name (laughs) because I'm envisioning a certain person, their yeah. face, all of that. And it's like, okay, nope, this is the name that fits them. But I create those characters and who they are, what their jobs are. Do they have an awful relationship with their parents or Same. do they have a great mm-hmm. relationship? You know, these are their likes and dislikes. I do that mentally and only mentally because that's how they become very real to me as real people. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So now once you made the New York Times bestselling list, which can you remind us which book was that? The first book that made the list? Uh, too much of a good thing. It was my sixth title, um, but second book in my Reverend Curtis Black series. Okay. So did you uh, feel any pressure like from there? Like they kind of say once you win the Oscar, the pressure is on. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah. So did you feel any pressure once you made the list? I did. And, you know, partly because once you make the list, you want to stay on the list but partly because you don't want to disappoint your publisher who is getting the work out there. They're contracting you for the next X amount of books. And so, yeah, the pressure was definitely on and it made me work harder and harder than I already had been. Did it take the enjoyment out of it, though? You know, not for a lot of years. It did not. I absolutely enjoyed it. And, you know, but I had to get to some point where I found balance because I would find myself sometimes in my office till 10 or 11 at night, you know, come to bed. My husband, Will, is already asleep, you know, wake up in the morning, you know, good to go for a little while, get some breakfast. But I'm pretty much down to my office, you know, sometimes skipping the workout and everything else. And, you know, that becomes the norm. And then I am very diligent about responding directly to my readers. After all these years, no one else has access to my email, to any of my social media accounts except me. So when you see a response or a post or an email response, it's absolutely me. And so that does take up a lot of time, but I just feel like that's the least I can do. Yeah, uh, that is so. Who have supported me? Yeah, that's so true. Even before I reached out for this interview, I remember years ago just saying hi a few times. Hey, you, it's mm-hmm. you. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, just I think like two more because you did talk a little bit about sister friends forever, um, mm-hmm. and you did mention. Is there anything else you want to add? Because I did have one here. What can you tell me about it? You want to add anything else about that story? Yeah. So for sister. For Sister Friends Forever, um, it is about four women. They've been best friends since they were small children. They grew up in church together. That's how they met. But they went to different elementary schools all the way through college. They were never, ever in school together. But they remained best friends, um, would come
home so that they could spend that time together over the summers. And then as they were preparing to graduate from college, they made the decision to make their homes back in their hometown so they could be close to each other as well as family members. But they not only represent each of their individual storylines, they don't just represent relationships, they represent the four relationship statuses. So Serena um, has never been proposed to. She's still single. They're all 40 years old. I guess I, I should say that as well. And so she's becoming a little impatient and a little frustrated. Uh, Michelle is newly engaged for the very first time, will be married in a few months. Kenya is happily married um, with two children. And then uh, Lynette is recently divorced mm. with two children. And so you kind of get to see how their lives are very different, all the same age, best friends, but they're living totally different lives as it relates to the men in their lives. That's powerful. And this comes out August? August 9th, yeah. yeah. Oh, and my birthday's August 2nd. Woo, woo. Y'all can buy oh, me that for my birthday, okay? Make <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> All right, so just, I think we have two more. So with Copycat, One in a Million, A Deep Dark Secret, these are like some of my favorites. Uh, how did you feel writing like novellas and standalones? And did you ever feel like people didn't appreciate them as much as the Curtis Black series? So I never felt like any of my readers, um, especially, you know, those who loved the Curtis Black series, didn't appreciate my standalone titles. They just like what they like. That's what they had gotten used to. That's what they expected. I always wanted to write about a lot more real life social issues um, that I believe as women, we need to talk about and maybe don't talk about enough, um, sometimes taboo issues, sometimes controversial issues. And so it was my amazing editor at HarperCollins at the time. She said, well, you know, why don't you do two books a year? You know, write your Reverend Curtis Black title the way you're doing uh, for your readers who love him and then write the standalone titles for you and for readers who are looking to read about some of these other issues. And so that's how the novellas came about. I would do my Curtis Black book in the early half of the year and then my novellas would be released um, usually in the fall or so, the, the, the latter part of the year. But yeah, it I still have a lot of readers who will say, um, I started reading you with your very first book, Casting the First Stone, you know, and I have to say, no, that's actually my third book, right, you, right. Know? <laughs> you know, but for them, that's their that's first it, book. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. And some don't know that I have, you know, the all the other titles that are standalones because they just read the 15 Curtis Black titles. And listen, guys, so you know that she's the bomb when you have novellas. Most publishers don't even accept novellas. Now, they probably do from established writers, uh, mm-hmm. like your uh, contracted authors and stuff. But typically, like, you can't submit a novella as, like, an option. So that's mm-hmm. just so amazing to me. And lastly, as a woman who is preparing for her kingdom husband, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of my listeners are out there doing the same, my lady yes. listeners, uh, how did you balance your writing career with your role as a wife? Because you talked about a time where maybe you felt like you were just not in balance and I'm sure your husband yeah. felt a little bit of that yes and so how did you balance we ain't trying to get all in your business too much nope. but, uh, but well, you know I if you know I don't mind being transparent about yeah. it at all um, you know I am a big believer that anything that I have experienced um, if I can share that and help someone else do it better yeah. um, you know to get to where I am on this other side of it you know I'm more than willing um, but yeah even when I ended up in the emergency room in 2014 with 
with um, an anxiety attack that turned into a very severe panic attack. Uh, my husband had been saying before that maybe you need to think about doing one book a year. You know, you seem tired, you seem, seem exhausted. You need to take a break just to do some things for yourself. And I thought, you know, I'm fine. You know, I can handle this. I've been doing this all along. I'm good. And you almost feel like as an author and as a contracted author and you have a certain amount of readers, you don't want to do anything that's going to take you away from something that might not be there. You know, once you take that break and try to return to it. And so I just continued on that path and on that path. And so then I had to really take that step back, though. That was my first Awakening, you know, okay. when that happened, when I was in the ER um, and realizing, okay, you know, my husband and my family members and my friends, you know, that's so much of what my priority needs to be. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've got to take a step back and just trust that God is still going to provide for me and still keep my readers in place, even if I do start to spend some time, um, you know, with myself um, and, and spending time time with my husband in the way that I really wanted to. That's a blessing. Amen. <laughs> well, that is it for today. And I'm so honored. Is there any last minute words? And please tell the readers how to find you. It'll be in the podcast details like your Instagram and all that. But just let them know how to find you. And you heard her, y'all. She said she's going to reply. It may take her a couple weeks. Oh, don't, that's right. Don't yes, overwhelm I, her. I, okay. <laughs> I, I absolutely will. Um, but yeah, I uh, my website is www.kimroby.com. I'm also on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, And so, yeah, I look forward to hearing from everyone. Hope that they will look for Sister Friends Forever in August um, and and some other things that I'm actually planning to do in the future as well. Yes, and if you don't, make sure, if you don't have it, the woman God created you to be, finding success through faith, spiritually, personally, and professionally. Uh, The reviews on this book are just amazing. I'm still working my way through it, but I really encourage you guys to pick that up. Um, It's so good to to get a glimpse into the mind of some of our favorite artists and creators and to see like the other side of it. And so you definitely want to be well-rounded in your pursuit of happiness, right? But we're really Mm -hmm. pursuing a purpose. And uh, in that, we want to make sure we have tools. So it's the mental health, it's the emotional health. All of that is important. So I really encourage you to make sure you grab that book and make sure if you are not a fan, if you have not picked up a book, I don't know where you've been, but welcome back to earth. And I encourage you to please pick up the copies, pick up the books, pick up the Curtis Black series and everything by Kimberly Lawson Roby. And it was such a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Make sure you follow your girl at Writer Maya on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you grab the God Girl's Guide to College Life, which dropped April 15th. It is a 21-day devotional for young girls in college. And I'm so excited about my youth conference coming up in Philly. All of this is combined. This is the official book for the conference. And I will see you guys soon. Love ya.